All right. Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today we are talking with Joseph Chevrolet Joe. You know, people call me Philip every now and then. It always sounds funny because I've been called Phil for years. Welcome to the show. You are IT director at Nascentia Health. And if I understand that correctly, you guys do home health care? Yep. Uh, we do home health, uh, visiting nursing, um, you know, it's pretty much keeping people alive and safe. That had to be, that's gotta be fairly challenging nowadays, or, or there's gotta be at yeah. least, some, there's gonna be some technology involvement with that. How did COVID affect the technology level there? Well, luckily we were already really remote, um, you know, VPNs, uh, mobile devices. So we're pretty technology, technologically advanced. So when COVID hit, it wasn't more, it wasn't really an overhaul. It was kind of a pivot. So we just took what we were doing already and, you know, uh, kind of expedited that and made it bigger. So a lot of people working in the office, we do have, you know, relatively large office staff. We assigned them laptops, sent them home, and they were able to connect that day. So there, we really didn't see much downtime. Um, and it's helped us quite a bit. So I know a lot of other healthcare systems were really struggling uh, to meet that need. That's cool. And even ability to serve, I don't know, people working at home and everything. Was there anything that, was there anything considerably that changed or that, that made something easier? You guys were already set and kind of ready to go, but was there, is there any outstanding factors? I think the hardest thing for most of our staff or remote staff was connecting their home networks and making sure that they were secure. So, um, we wrote up a whole new or new remote user guide to help people walk through common issues that they might have. Um, we ended up, you know, a lot of calls that we weren't used to saying, Hey, you got to call your ISP for this, your internet service provider. Um, it's not something that we can fix right away. You know, I, I think the hardest part for us in it was my staff not being able to walk over when there was an issue. You know, you can't just pop over and take a look and see someone's computer and see, you know, what they're doing wrong. Oh, their caps lock is, is, is enabled. So it's, it's actually a great was, subject because we, I haven't tackled, I've been working on a product that we could deliver like an affordable product that we could deliver to people that are working from home to provide, you know, QOS, maybe some sort of security edge route or some sort of SD-WAN piece uh, that would provide, you know, secure kind of cloud access, I guess. But fascinating what were the number one issues? One number one, number two, number three. What, what were the major issues that you're running into where they had to call their, whether they had to call their ISP, whatever it is, but what, what were the main issues that people are running into with their home networks? This will be helpful <laughs> right one. now. Like, what can we yeah. bang out? Like, let's bang this out. The n- number one issue uh, was people didn't know their Wi-Fi password. That was biggest by and large <laughs> is, oh, well, my computer has been hooked up to my Wi-Fi for 10 years and I don't know the, the key anymore. Like, okay, well, we can't help that. Um, that was the biggest issue. Uh, so was like just stick a pencil in the back of the router box and reset it and go to... <laughs> we, had a, we had a couple of those, yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a couple of times like, okay, well, how many uh, how many devices do you have? Or, do you have a bunch of smart devices? Do you have 19 televisions that are hooked up to this thing? Okay, well, get ready to go run around the whole the whole house. Or, you know, some people, they were actually new to um, to the wireless. Some people didn't have Wi-Fi, which blew my mind. I'm like, it is 2020 at the time it happened. And I'm like, you don't have wireless in your house? Like, really? Nope, we just have cable TV. Like, oh boy. So a lot of people had new routers that 
they had just set up for the first time. So getting them to understand what Wi-Fi was, you know, these people who are just used to coming into work and log into their desktop and going on with their day, they didn't wow. even know what I, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, you know. Um, it happens. We, yeah, yeah. Some of, those, it happens. some of those people, some of those people we were able to get uh, cell phones and, you know, they can go into wireless hotspots to connect that way. But it was a lot of training. And I, I think it was really good for my staff as far as an end user perspective to really see where everybody lies, like understand those nuances in skill set. Whereas, you know, you come from an IT background and you have this level of technical skill. And then you have to work with somebody who is so not tech savvy, which is nothing against them. You know, it's, it's just not their job. So being able to bridge that gap, I think that really helped my guys with their customer service abilities. Not that they were bad by any means before they were awesome. Um, but that was by and large the biggest issue. That had to, um, there had to have been some great laughs. There just had to have been. Not oh, not at other people's expenses, of course, but of there course. had to have been, <laughs> there had to have been like, this guy's living off the grid. This guy's <laughs> off the grid. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so if they had cable television, did they at least have like, you know, dial up? What'd they have? How were they connected not to the, the internet at all? They just, just, they just had, they had their iPhone. That was it. They had their, their, their Samsung, whatever smart device they had. They just had that. That was their portal to the world. It almost makes me jealous. Like I'm a big fisher. I love going on my boat and I'm like, man, I, I wish I, I could consciously unplug that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause even when you're out on the boat, you, yeah, you should leave the phone. Eh, I don't. It brings, it, brings me back to the, it brings me, that always reminds me back in the day cause I have kids and yep. I just can't imagine not being able to not get a hold of my kids and not know where they are. And I think back to my childhood and my mom used to just let me and like Mika Tornikowski walk down into the woods to like, you know, three, five miles into the woods, walk around the pond, like even camp overnight, like with no contact whatsoever. Yeah, yeah we, yeah, growing up, I mean, I, I grew up in the early 90s. We, uh, we had four wheelers, we had bikes and we'd go all over the place. I'd, they, my mother would essentially kick us out in the morning, and be like, "Okay, go do something for the day, and go. Don't come back to the streetlights. Come on." Like, yeah. It's, yeah. When I got right older, now, it was snowmobiles. Yeah. yeah, it was snowmobiles, dirt bikes. Yep. Geez, it was walking through the woods with shotguns, like sixteen-year-old kids with shotguns. I mean, like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's crazy. I mean, now you can't even fathom that. Like, uh, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, I I, I miss those days. You know. Not just being disconnected, but at the same time, if that was still the world, I probably wouldn't have a job. So <laughs> this is this is great. So number one was forgetting Wi-Fi password. Number two was just no internet at all. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What there's got to be something that was actually like somewhat IT challenging. Yeah. So the the most <laughs> difficult part, I say, for our users not so much for us in IT, was uh, VPNs, a virtual private network, is making them understand that they need to have their VPN enabled in order to get to their the resources that are housed in the data center. You know, so that making them understand, hey, you need to open up this highway if you need, if you want to access your, your data, or you need to access these levels of, um, you know, the, these programs or whatever. So, that was a big disconnect with some of our users is they just didn't understand what that VPN was until we trained them on it, you know? Um, and then they understood, okay, you know, when we put it in layman's terms, 
uh, of, you know, hey, you need the highway to connect back. That's oh, okay. That makes sense. So I, I would say that's, that was the most difficult piece from a technical perspective. So they, need, they needed to know the why behind IT. That's interesting. Right. Some people don't need to know the why. They're just like, okay, I'll do it. But they needed to, they needed to know the why. How did you do that training? How did you uh, send that out to the masses? So uh, that was included in our New Year's or guide. Uh, we really would take a lot of one-on-one calls. We set up kind of a hotline. Uh, work from home hotline that our users could call anytime they had issues. Um, and then we had one or two dedicated guys that would just, that's their job for the day is to work on that hotline. Uh, they know they're going to be running into some real novel issues. Um, so we made sure you know that they were equipped and they had their team behind them. Um, luckily, we didn't have to go out to anybody's homes and help them set anything up. But you know, that was offering that level of support, the direct level of dedicated support to them, as well as documentation was able to kind of get them over that hump until the point where they learned, okay, you know, now I understand what to check and what's going on. Uh, um, all our devices have native VPLs, but when they did drop up or, you know, you pass a reset and you have to enter it in, you enter it in here and not there, they, you know, they happen from time to time. I want to ask you what you did for phones. So we have a mobile device management system. Uh, we have an Android system uh, for all of our field users. So we were able to get our hands on a bunch of uh, Samsung. Uh, there were S10 devices and S9s. And we were able to twin those to people's extensions and then deploy them out that way. You said twinning. You don't have Mitel, do you? Nope. No, we use um, Avaya. Okay. So you just, do you still have an Avaya PBX or is it some sort of hosted? It's a PBX. So it's, um well... It's actually a hybrid. So we have a server in our data center as well as a hosted uh, backup server in the uh, ISP's Colo. Are you guys a Microsoft shop for Teams and stuff? We are. Do you use Microsoft? Oh, yeah. We love Teams. We uh, we were using, I don't know if you know, Novell. Um, We used to have GroupWise email. Um, We had Novell Messenger for the longest time. Yep. And... um, you know, we, we got Office 365. We love it. So we rolled out Teams right before COVID hit. Um, and now we use it constantly. We use it for everything, document management, instant messaging. That's a fantastic program. It is. I do think it's going to take over. I do yeah, believe. Too. If, I, if, I had to, if I had to, you know, if there was a gun to my head, I, I'd, I guess I'd go Microsoft. Uh, as what's going to, you know, after the dust clears and all the telecom providers kind of disappear over time, I think it's going to end up being teams. You do some consulting on the side. I do. And I believe that most IT managers, leaders, CTOs, CIOs should do something on the side. Because I think there needs to be some sort of, and I don't know why you do it, but for me, it could just be money. Um, it could be because you love technology. For me, I believe that having some sort of form of residual income or nest egg or other form of income is a smart thing to do. So just curious what kind of consulting you do on the side and why you do it. It's uh, mostly cybersecurity and infrastructure. Um I do a little bit of business analysis, a little bit of marketing, kind of the whole mixed bag, but mostly in cybersecurity. Um, most of my clients are either gov or municipalities. They'll hire me to come in and do uh, cybersecurity education, 
uh, what is phishing, talk about hacking and all that stuff, do it for their staff. And then uh, my other clients are infrastructure clients. So mostly small businesses will help them, you know, all they got is a, <laughs> a little, uh, we'll call it spectrum router or modem. And that's all I have. And they don't really understand, you know, what AV is or why they need some type of firewall and how easy it is to break into their system. Um, so I, I, I kind of do run the whole gambit there. I try to stay out of the, the big stuff. Um, like I don't really go into GDPR or uh, GCCI or anything like that. Um, mostly, you know, small to medium-sized businesses that I can help out. And I do it really for three reasons. Uh, the first is it's kind of where I got my start in IT. I started off as a, a printer technician years ago, and we can get into that later. Um, the second really is for to keep myself abreast of everything that's going on in the environment and uh, in technology as a whole. Because being in healthcare, you're isolated to HIPAA and you're isolated all these you know, specific rules and regs you have to follow. And then you kind of lose sight of everything else in the, envir- in, um, in the industry. So if I'm working with an insurance client, you know, I have to understand the insurance side. If I'm working with a banking client or a finance client, I have to understand uh, DFS rules. And, you know, it kind of keeps you sharp and it keeps you looking at things from different perspectives. Um, oftentimes in my full-time job, I say, hey, you know, I did this for a client three years ago. Let's try this. And it really helps you later on. Um, and. I, I, I think really everybody should do at least, well, at least in IT, some level of contracting, even if it is being a, a printer tech, you know, it helps you to really understand the technology that's out there and you never know what's, how it's going to help you later on. Yeah. Great answer. The, the which leads me to, I, I forget to do this all the time. I do need to take a, it's not really a commercial break, but I do need to remind people that, I need you to go. If you like this show and you like what Dissecting Popular IT Nerds is doing, the main way that podcasts gain uh, traction is through Apple podcast reviews. So if you could be so kind to Google Dissecting Popular IT Nerds and go to Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom and give us your honest review, please. We do want your honest review. And... We did make the top 40 podcasts of 2021 that are a need to listen to. The link is on the website in the last uh, in one of our last episodes. So if anyone really wants to see us actually growing, uh, that's there. So moving on. What was your first computer? A compact. I don't even remember the model number is anymore. We bought it. My father bought it in the year 2001, I think it was. It had 32 megs of hard drive space. Nice. <laughs> and what did we, we used to play, I think it was Swingo on a some old little system, but I was too young to remember that. But, um, but yeah, that was our first home computer. And the first computer I took apart, uh, my father was a police uh, investigator. And I decided when I was about uh, 10 years old or so to take apart his investigation computer. Um, <laughs> Please, part was not happy about that. Man. <laughs> what was it like growing up in that house? Stressful? Um, yeah, it was a little intense. Uh, he was, you know, he was an investigator. He was also an interrogator. So getting in trouble was 
was kind of intense. He's he's mellowed out over the years, but you know, he's always a great he's a great dad. No complaints. No, my well, my brother's uh my brother's the fire chief, so yeah, he, he he can be a little bit intense too. I, I love that. We'll get in trouble, get go through yeah. a full interrogation. Look, uh, I know people very very well. I do this for a living. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I remember when I was I was little. I was like maybe six or seven. I told him that you know if he did something, I was going to call the police. He looked at me with I am the police. I'm like, shit, he's gonna. <laughs> oh man so we have a section of the show called that's a stupid thing what is one of the dumbest things that we've seen nowadays in technology come up that you can think of uh let's so like uh what a user is doing or like a Oh, no, it could just be any stupid thing, anything that you saw, and you're just like, that's a stupid thing. Oh, gosh. There's got to be something you've come across. I have to think about that one, man. That's... I mean, we might have already oh, come. Well, yeah, there, there's, there's plenty of things. I mean... <laughs> I mean, we could, I mean, just the fact that someone doesn't have internet is interesting. That might not be stupid. That might be a really smart thing. But yeah, I, I would say, I mean, and it's, it's a cliche answer, but you know, people writing down passwords, putting on post-it notes on their monitor, like that's usually pretty stupid. Um, people clicking on Nigerian print schemes, pretty mm-hmm. stupid. Um, yeah, most of my, my answers are going to probably be around security, but a lot of times we, we take these, you know, uh, people having caps locks and not realizing it's caps locks and getting really mad and frustrated at IT because they can't log into their computer. You know, those are the stupid things we see all the time. But they're not necessarily stupid because you got to remember, you, you take it from the person's point of view, you know? I mean, we weren't always tech savvy. So I try to remember back to before I was in IT, uh, you know, how much, how little I knew. So, you know, you always try to hearken yourself back to those times. Um, and you can use them as learning opportunities. So we use um, LastPass as a password manager. So somebody that gets caught, you know, violating a policy by running their password down to the hey. Uh, you shouldn't do that. Here's a really easy way to keep everything safe and in one place. And then you introduce them to that. And they're like, oh, wow, that is much easier than writing something down in a post-it note. But I've got to keep my one master password somewhere. So I've got to write that down on a post-it note. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're going to, you can always have that. You, you always have those people that, you know, they're just, they're just, I, I don't want to call them Luddites, but they are very just resistant to change or don't understand that the controls put in place shouldn't be bypassed. Mm. No, no, they should not. I the, think, um, to answer, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, I just thought of something, uh, <laughs> a stupid thing, um, because of COVID. So people are trying to clean their devices more often. And right after the onset of COVID, we started having laptops coming in with um, broken keyboards. And we're like, what, wonder what's causing these things. They're all, they're all going down at the same time, or there's a bad batch, but no, they're different batches. So we asked people, what, do you, what, what causes? We go, well, I was wiping out the computer with a Lysol wipe, and all of a sudden, my keyboard stopped working. And we're like, did you turn it off first? No. <laughs> the Lysol liquid was seeping into the, the system board and, you know, causing the keyboard to fry out. So, nice. 
I guess that would be the stupid thing. That's good. Someone told me the other day they had someone st- store a bunch of um, tablets in a shoebox with a cover on it, and they drilled holes in the side to plug in the tablets, and it like burnt the building down, heated up overnight, and burnt the building down, or at least a good section of the building. That was a good one. We should make a stop. <laughs> we should just make a top Yikes. ten. Yeah, you should just make a top ten list of stupid things that will help you with technology. Ten stupid things that we do as humans that will make your technology life easier. For example, yeah. is the cap locks <laughs> is the cap locks on? You know, they don't write these scripts for no reason. When you call, I always use Comcast. I guess I'm going to use Comcast again. When you call Comcast, and they're like, "Is the power on?" You're like, yes, look, first of all, yes, the power's on. I've already cycled the router. I've already done this. I've already, da, 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 and you already know all the, all the questions they're going to ask. But they do ask those questions for a reason because someone is sitting in there with the router unplugged. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, or someone's uh, sitting there with their monitor off, the power, the tower's on, something like that. Yeah, we uh, I've seen those before. So, uh, if you had one piece of advice for anyone out there listening, um, IT directors, whatever it is, uh, what would that be? Well, I'm currently going through a hiring phase, so I'm going to focus on that. Um, I would say that understand what you can coach and understand what you can teach somebody versus what their income and skills are. So I currently am looking at multiple uh, candidates that have no IT background would it be great to have somebody come in with an IT, IT experience that can fill that role tier one, tier two help desk grow? Absolutely. Um, but is it necessary? What, what can you teach? I can teach technology all day long. I can teach somebody how to uh, troubleshoot DNS issues or how to troubleshoot hardware issues. I can't teach a personality, especially in healthcare. You need somebody with a good personality in order to bridge the gap between the empathetic nurse and the technical IT person. So that having a personality of somebody who might be a waiter or um, a customer service rep or a call center rep can go leaps and bounds because a lot of times, you know, these calls you get are, you know, user error. Um, and it's not the fault of the user. It's just not there every day. So if you're able to communicate better, it doesn't matter what your technical skills are. Um, so from a higher perspective, you know, look at that person without the experience and look at them, look past that and look at their personality and see, you know, how is this person going to fit my culture? Because what I've seen over my years in IT is there seems to have been a disconnect between culture and technology, especially in the IT department. If you're running a help desk, those two are the same. Because a lot of times when you breed a good culture and you breed your, uh, your help desk to be personable, to have empathy with people who are struggling, you're going to end up having less irate people. You're going to end up having fewer calls because these people are, are going to want to learn from somebody who is, you know, a pleasure to talk to. Um, it's like back in high school, if you had a really crappy professor in high school versus a really great professor, you, I guarantee you will have learned more from the, the better professor than you did from the, the worst one. So I guess that would be my overall advice is don't discredit somebody because of the lack of experience. Yes. You, you brought me back to high school. I almost had a nightmare. I had a daytime nightmare. The, um, it would be great if we had all passionate 
uh, teachers that made us love uh, getting up and going to school in the morning. That would be that that would be uh, yeah revolutionary. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you if you if you call the help desk and that person on the other end of line is joking around with you and making you laugh, um, th- that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's it's that emotional intelligence that you know we're now learning about as managers and directors. Uh, you know how important it is. You know, and like, I I always try to treat my guys fairly. I don't treat them like they're you know they're under me or they work for me. You know, we work as a team. Um, we always support each other. And I think that's super, super important is, you know, having that emotional intelligence to understand where people are coming from, because later on down the road, that's going to help you out. Cause when, you know, you, when crap hits the fan and you need somebody in your corner to help you out, whether it be a, a crisis scenario, whether you need, you know, even personal advice, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're going to have that individual who may might not be your friend. You're not going to go out and have a beer at the end of the day, but you're, they're going to understand you at an emotional level versus just a, you know, the traditional boss subordinate uh, relationship. In the, in the healthcare world, I don't know about your healthcare world, but the healthcare world, I grew up in healthcare. I grew up, my father's doctor. He's a, he's an MD, he's a urologist. My uncle's an ophthalmologist. My grandfather was a pediatrician. Even before him, he, some doctor, my, my sister's an RN, her husband's an anesthesiologist. It goes down the line. Um, it's a very higher, I've known there's a pecking order. In the hospital, there is a pecking order. There is the doctor, there is the nurses, there is all the way down to like the janitor. And it's it's almost like a caste system in the hospital. And um, what's it like in the IT world being in healthcare? Do you notice that? Is there, I mean, you guys are in home healthcare, so it's a little bit different. I would say it's, it's much different, but I would, I would assume you feel it somewhat. Like how does, does upper management recognize IT as a cost center still, or are you guys a, you know, more than just a cog in the machine? Well, they, uh, we've finally had them realize that IT and information security is not only a cost center, it's a necessity. Um, we've explained the that you're investing in your risk mitigation. You're not investing money just, you know, just in case something happens. It's not just a simple security, but you know, we're mitigating the risk of a $10 million cyber attack um, from the security side specifically. You know, um, from a IT perspective, we aren't a cost center as much as we can help optimize and improve productivity. Um, the more you optimize and improve productivity and reduce utilization or well, increase utilization, uh, reduce the amount of hours you spend working with patients, the more money you end up making. So if we can prove, say, hey, you know, we can do this project, we can move this item, we can in- improve this, and it's going to, you know, cut down on our clinicians' work by seven hours a week. That's a real savings right there. So uh, it's I- I've noticed that there's been a shift. Um, I've been in healthcare for about four years or so. Uh, before that, I was in aviation. And before that, I was in higher education. So as my IT career progressed, I kind of saw that change. Um, whereas IT was a true cost center. It was, oh, well, we got to buy this because we need the technology. And, you know, to really getting a seat at that, you know, that executive table, um, being brought into the senior leadership meetings and having them understand 
that we need to involve them in order to make this project succeed. Um, right down to something as simple as like user access roles for a third-party system. Um, IT has experience in that. They can help streamline that so you're not wasting 30, 40 hours access, you know, giving access to each specific person. Um, you know, we can help structure and streamline things. So at least at Nascentio, they've done a great job of really including us and understanding the need um, and our, the value to the organization that we bring. Is there a certain responsibility of IT to push themselves forward and show that ability to streamline and optimize productivity? And is there any, um, I mean, don't you think you need to really be up in their grill almost? Like if you work in an organization where IT is a cost center, I think there's a opportunity for IT to show that ability to streamline and optimize, but you've got to be up in people's grill. You've got to be there like in meetings. You've got to be asking questions, getting involved and showing, you know, asking. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, you, you need to include yourself. Um, it's not something that if if you as an IT director currently work in a place that sees IT as a sole cost center, they're not going to just one day have an epiphany and say, hey, we need to start including Bob in these meetings. You need to force yourself in there. You need to make it known that you, and I, I did the same thing when I started, you know, at first it was, IT was seen as a cost center. But when I started, I came in, I started reducing costs. I started optimizing. They're like, oh, wow, you know, we can leverage this opportunity. If you have the ability and you can see opportunities, you know, go after them, pursue them and bring them to your chief operating officer, your CIO or CEO, whoever you report to the president, you know, go through and say, here's what I can do. You know, if you involve me more, we can do this in other areas of the business. You have to prove your worth, just like any, you know, any place. It's, it's not going to come by you just sitting behind a desk and writing Excel formulas. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> I like that. Joe, uh, been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for offering your advice and story. Uh, I would love the, if you do come up with the top 10 stupid things that will make people's lives uh, easier, we could have that, you know, like don't check your caps locks, do this, do that. Maybe, maybe there's like a useful list that we could put out there for people to, to deliver. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it.